Hello, and welcome to the Urban Permaculture Podcast. My name is Heather with Hogs and Hens Urban Farm, and today I am super excited to have a very special guest on the episode. You guys have heard a lot about him, but you haven't heard anything really from him. Today we're going to be talking to my husband, Bob, and Bob has a huge list of suggestions of tools and materials to source for your urban permaculture setting or your rural permaculture setting that you can acquire on the cheap. Um, Now, these are some fantastic suggestions. He has a list a mile long of things to talk about. So if you are somebody that likes to refer back to things later, definitely grab a pen and paper. I'll have the show notes posted um, here very soon. And without any further ado, I will give you Bob. Hello. And as Heather said, I like saving money and I love collecting tools. I'm going to go over first a few places you may or may not have thought of for getting tools. Um, Your conventional, you know, you could always go to the hardware store or the big box store and buy the tool. And let's try not to do that if at all possible because we could use that money for other stuff. Uh, One place that pops in uh, right off the get-go is garage sales. People are always selling tools at garage sales. That's a great place to find them. Good quality stuff, cheap just to get it out of someone else's shed. Another one along those same lines is going to auctions. A lot of times you'll have where they've just got to empty out an estate. You can get some really good tools for next to nothing. One that I've got here with an asterisk by it is pawn shops. Now, pawn shops, you can find used tools, but a lot of the pawn shops have gotten wise to what the tools are worth. And I've seen some that they were the same price as buying a new one. So still a good resource, but go in there knowing what you want to spend and what the tool is worth and keep an eye out for bargains versus just another tool store. Yeah, and feel free to haggle with any of these people. Another one is Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace or whatever uh, type of online deal market you've got in your area and a great place to go and find these things uh, broaden your search for some of the weirder stuff and again be prepared to bargain with these people the the next one just ask people we have five sets of post hole diggers at the house and we have an auger and never use a post hole digger I would sell or give that thing away on the cheap if somebody I knew needed one. So talk to your friends. If you've got a specific tool you need, put the word out there. They can help you find them. They may have one that they would sell or give to you. And with that in mind, don't be afraid to borrow from friends and ask. Um, in our case, we had a stump that need gro- that needed ground out, and we don't have a stump grinder. But we have a really good friend that has a huge tractor with a great big stump grinder on the back of it, and he knew it was something we needed done. So he was willing to come out and use his tractor, and he ground out quite a few stumps for us. Mm-hmm. It really helped us out a lot. Uh, another option is make your own. We process a lot of pallets for different projects around the farm, and Heather made our pallet breaker out of pieces of pipe and a couple of welds that she was learning to weld as she did it, so it was kind of interesting. A little little comedy in there. I wish we had video. (laughs) Um, Along those same lines, don't be afraid to modify a tool for a similar task, like you can take a pitchfork, modify it slightly, and make a broad fork out of it, Um, things along those lines. I won't get into too much detail on that, but don't be afraid to cut something up or weld a piece on it or anything you need to do. If the tool isn't currently doing what you need it to, but you could make a couple tweaks and make it do what you need it to, that's a better tool to have. Another thing is using alternative tools like A table saw is awesome for ripping down boards, getting real clean cuts and things like that. But if you don't have a table saw, you can do a lot of the same stuff with a circle saw. You can can, uh, clamp a board to another board. There's your straight edge. You just got a rip fence. Run the circle saw down the side of it. You've got a long straight line. Likewise, if you need to do like ripping two befores, you can mount a stop plate on a circle saw and run it down the length of a two before and 
as long as you've got a, a means for fastening it on either end, you just rip down the two before without a table saw. And I uh, hate to say it, but don't be afraid to use a good old-fashioned handsaw. It might not be pretty, but it will get the job done. You might get some get a good workout while you're at it. <laughs> Likewise, if, if you've got a miter saw for doing the angle cuts, all well and good. But if not, you can use a circle saw and clamp the board at a 45-degree angle and get the same cut. And again, the handsaw, you can put it any angle you want. Just draw your line real good and saw down the down the line. Um, the For the diagonals, one real good method on that is if you get a good speed square and mount it at a 45-degree angle, you can, uh, you can use that to line the board up and make the 45 whatever length you need or for short ones like cross cuts that that's all you need typically um and don't be afraid of the, the little most of them are yellow with black pegs but the little miter boxes with the the block saw those things i i have cut millions of boards with those things and they'll give you a workout but they again will get the job done a few of the essentials that if, if you're building a lot of stuff around the around the farm or garden house, whatever, a few of the essential tools that I won't say they're you know die hard, but if you can get these, get them. A drill, cordless if possible, and preferably at least two. And the reason I say at least two, if you're doing a big project and you've got like you're using screws and you're using a drill. Having two drills, one with the bit driver for the screws and the other one with a drill bit, saves you a lot of time going back and forth. Because in, in most scenarios, you can't go and pre-drill every hole, switch the drill bit out, and go back and put all the screws in. you got to do one or two, and then move down, one or two, move down. So having two drills set up for both uses really comes in handy. Uh like I mentioned before, you can do a lot with a circle saw. I would, again, get a cordless one if possible. The price on those has really come down in recent years, and the battery life has really gone up in recent years. Um, if not, you know, the corded one is fine. Just make sure you don't cut the cord. And uh, the uh, uh, keep a spare blade ready. The You don't go through the blades on those very often, but when you do, it's always in the middle of a project when you, you know, you really can't afford to take a break and run down to the, the hardware store and buy a blade right now because it's about to rain and you've got a million boards out there and you just want to get things done. Keep one handy. When that does happen, you can swap the blade out real quick and then just leave yourself a note to pick up another blade to put on the shelf next time you're at the hardware store. Uh, like I mentioned before, the speed square, um, I've got a little uh, fluorescent orange one that is indispensable. That and good pencil or even a Sharpie uh, magic marker, those are great for doing quick and dirty. Okay, I need a 45, I need a 30, I need a 90 degree angle. Just learn to use the speed square, put it on there and run with it. Um, a good tape measure. And get familiar with what the different marks on the tape measure mean. And again, I'm not going to go into the everything, but we all know about the half-inch marks and the quarter and the eighth, sixteenth, sixty-fourth, all that. The black diamonds on it for the stud depths. Some of them have red diamonds, things like that. Also, if you're not aware of it, the end of your tape measure is purposely loose. It collapses in if you're doing an interior measurement, and it stretches if you're doing an exterior measurement, and that is to, for, to compensate for the thickness of the blade on the end of it. Likewise, if you're doing an interior measurement, every tape measure I've ever seen has a small number on the case, and it'll say like two and a half inches, and it'll have arrows on it. And what that is, is whatever you measure on an interior measurement if you put the back of the tape measure up against the inside edge, add that that two and a half inches or whatever the number is to the measurement, and that gives you the overall measurement, including the width of the tape measure. I've 
I that's one of those things I always thought it was common knowledge, but I found out that knowledge is not as common as I once thought it was. Um, a few nice to have tools. Sorry, I made notes for this because it's my first podcast. I don't want to screw it up. Uh, a few nice to have tools. Uh, circle saw is great. Miter saw, if you can get one, great. They're they're cheap. They're handy, and it's a lot quicker if you're like cutting boards for a fence. Get you a, a jig set up so you know what the length is. Clamp a board to the end. You slap a board in the miter saw, put the arm down. Slap a board, put the arm down. You can go through a lot of boards really quick using a miter saw. <coughs> Table saw. If you can, do. That is one tool that you will find more uses for it than you thought even humanly possible. But again, they're a little pricey for some people's budgets. But go go to auctions, go to yard sales, talk to friends. At one point, I had four table saws. If the right person had come along at that time, I would have gladly traded something. Um, a nail gun. Um, a nail gun's another one of those. Get two of them. Because you're going to have one that does framing nails. It's a little bit bigger. And then you would need like a brad nailer or a pin nailer to do the fine stuff. Um, you can make a pin nailer, well, not necessarily a pin nailer, but a brad nailer do for some of the stuff, but you can't do pin nailing with a framing nailer and you can't do a framing nailer with a pin nailer. They're just, it's giant nails versus tiny finishing nails. Um, oh, and on the, the nail guns, I typically keep two of them on the, I, I use a brad nailer for just about everything, but I keep a little bit heavier gauge nails on one of them than the other one, and I keep a longer nail on one than I do the other one. And again, it just when, I, when I'm doing big projects, it makes it easier to go back and forth rather than having to empty it out and all that. And having two different gauge nail guns, that helps out a lot. I think that's it for the tools, and we can move on to materials. Some uh, resources for where to find cheap, free wood. Um, for pallets. Everybody uses pallets for the... It's the first thing that comes to mind when you think of recycled products around a homestead. Hardware stores have pallets. They get a lot of stuff shipped in. And a lot of those pallets just wind up on the back dock. There are a couple of them here locally that they have a big thing outside that says free pallets. Now, know that these pallets that they're throwing away, basically, are beaten to a pulp. They're splintered. They're, they've got busted boards. Be prepared. You're going to have some scrap wood out of this. We use ours for bonfires. Um, but... Free, free wood that is splintered is better than no wood. So a lot of times you can use it for projects. Most of it is not suitable for composting because we don't know what kind of chemicals they use to treat these, these pallets. So I wouldn't, you know, put them in the compost heap. But aside from that, it's pretty fair game. Your farm supply stores, they get a lot of heavy items in on pallets. Small businesses... These guys, you know, they're getting stuff shipped in. Talk to them, find out. There's a carpet shop that we know in town that he gets very nice pallets periodically, and we just go pick them up by the truckload. Um, your big big box stores, a lot of them use recycled pallets where they're, it's like the old deposit bottles back in the 70s. They get so much money when they return the pallets after they're done with them, but they still have some throwaways. Um if you know anyone that uh, is in the printing industry, the paper is shipped on some very nice hardwood pallets typically, and that's a great source for hardwood. And another one, talk to your friends. Let them know, you know, hey, we're doing this project. Any good pallets you see, let us know. We, it, we rarely go a week that somebody isn't bringing really nice pallets to the house and dropping them off because they know we do this kind of stuff with them. 
Um, another source for this is um, re recycled lumber. Um, old fencing is a favorite of mine. Like when people go through and, and redo their um, privacy fences around their house. Those old fences, most of them are not pressure treated. If it's pressure treated, I, I, there's some stuff, but you got to be careful putting that in the garden. Um, but the, most of them are not pressure treated. In a lot of cases, they're cedar. That's good wood. It's just been out in the weather for a long while. <coughs> so what I typically do with the fencing is I cut off the top where it's been sunbaked and splintered, and I cut off the bottom where it's been exposed to the, the earth for Lord knows how many years. And in the middle of that, I've got usually really good usable wood. You've also got the cross rails in them that are usually a little bit smaller than a, a traditional two before. It's usually like a two by three board, but there's a lot of things you can do around the homestead and the garden with those, those two by threes. So don't, don't rule out old fencing. If you've got um, construction going on near you, the cleanup from the construction site, a lot of times they have a lot of leftover boards that aren't very much used for building a house, but it's big enough to build a garden planter. So keep an eye out for those kind of scenarios. If, if you know anyone that is tearing down a barn, they, in a lot of cases, if you can haul off everything they've got, they will pay you to take it. But even the ones that can't, if you can get some of the scrap off their property, that's less they have to haul away. So there are a lot of barns, especially after a storm, that, you know, they go through and get the insurance check and all that, and they're going to rebuild it eventually. But right now they've got a ton of scrap sitting on their property. I've, I've helped tear down decks and rebuild them, and the old deck lumber is a great source for recycled wood. Another thing, it's not really recycled, but it's, it's reducing a waste stream. If you go to the hardware store and you get wood custom cut, the offcuts for that, a lot of the stores will give them to you for free or they will sell them at a re an extremely reduced price. I've seen it as, as much as 90% off. Um, you also have the ones that the boards that have been banged up, scratched up, stained, whatever. Uh, my tomato plants don't care if the boards that they're trellising up are stained. They really don't. So that is, most stores call it a cull board or a, they'll have a cull cart or a cull bin. And that is the boards that are not traditionally sellable. And it's a waste stream for the store. And you can get them extremely reduced or sometimes free just by talking to the store manager Hey, where, where's your cull cart? Where's your offcuts? I want to help, you know, clean up some of your scrap wood. And a lot of times, tell them what you're doing. They'll get interested and they'll, you know, give you a, a huge discount or, or a lot of times free. Um, as far as the, the back to the pallets, we can't get away from these pallets. The um, easiest way I've found to make good use of a pallet um, all of our, uh, plots in the, the main garden at the house are three foot by nine foot. And the reason we did this, most pallets, even on the short edge are approximately four foot across. So if you cut the board just inside of, of, we'll call it the rails. I don't know what the proper term is, but the, the thick part in the middle of the pallet, if you cut just inside the two outside edges on that pallet, at a three-foot line, you you can easily pop the two nails, typically, that hold the center part of that to the third rail on the pallet. And the boards are, at that point, you're a lot less likely to splinter them. You'll get more good usable boards out of it. And the split and banged up ends on the edge, you, instead of that, you've got a fresh cut board to deal with. Also, the fencing no matter how badly banged up it is, you can get a three-foot section out of that board 99% of the time. Then you take those, you run three of those down the side, use some of the blocking, again, those, those two-by-threes off the fencing come in really handy to uh, block the corners and the seams. 
and suddenly you have a three foot by nine foot bed for the cost of a couple of nails and the nail gun. Now, <clears throat> what I would add to that, a lot of times when we're prying apart these pallets, you know, you're using your hammer then to tap the nails out so you don't have, you know, splintered nails hanging out. A lot of times those nails are still pretty usable. So if you have some of those that come out and they're not completely completely beaten to a bloody pulp. If you're just using them to make a garden box or something that doesn't need to be the prettiest, like a chicken coop, you can reuse a lot of those nails. Now bear in mind, they're not gonna be as sharp, so they're not gonna puncture the wood as easily. But something like pine, which is what most pallets are made out of, often is a much softer wood, so you don't necessarily need a super sharp impact point. So a lot of times we actually will reuse the nails from those pallets which is it extremely cheap of us to do? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, those pallets and those those garden boxes are sitting outside getting weathered all the time. And my tomato doesn't care whether or not it's got a really pretty shiny nail on it or whether it's an expensive screw or whether it's something I just reclaimed. So even with the garden boxes he's talking about, you can easily do that with using reclaimed nails from your pallets. Plus an added benefit of that, when you tap the, the head of the nail to pop it out of the board, um, that's actually a technique called blunting that's common, commonly used by Finnish carpenters to make it less likely to split the wood. When you've got a rounded tip on the nail, it, um, it actually is less likely to split. It sounds counterintuitive, but it works. And when you've tapped the, the ends of these nails to get them out of the wood, you're going back into some wood that, you know, in the case of some of these pallets, it's... It's probably a few years old. It's seen a, a rough life. Anything you can do to keep it from splitting, that's more in your favor. But hopefully these, these ideas will get you thinking outside the box. There's so many ways to take waste streams and just turn them into something sustainable, something usable, something to help you grow, um, both literally and figuratively. And don't be afraid to think outside the box while building the box in this case. Uh, my One of my favorite memories that I come back to all the time, my first garden was started in old hubcaps. Anything that will hold dirt, you can grow something in it. And now we, we've kind of taken that up a notch. We have tons of dirt and tons of plants and that's... That's near, neither here nor there. Anyway, I'm, I'm rambling. So with that, I'm going to conclude my, my portion of this and hand it back over to Heather. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Bob. A few things that I wanted to talk about with all of these projects that Bob has discussed, you know, uh, I talk a lot about compost on our show because to me, compost is one of the most valuable resources. It, it's easy to make and acquire compost on, on your farm to grow your vegetables and, and all of your plants really much more healthy and strong. And so having a receptacle for that compost is really important. And how we started out was we we got a used bucket from drywall spackling, mud, and we had been repairing some holes. Our house was built in 1885, so it has a lot of, of little projects that need to be done. There is always something around our house to, that needs fixed, as would be any house built in 1885. With that in mind, we had all these spackle buckets. Well, to start our composting journey, we actually just used an old spackle bucket and I had Bob go through and he drilled some uh, about eighth inch holes all through the bucket lid to allow some circulation of air. And then when I make vegetables of any sort or any kind of compostable materials, I just throw the scraps in the bucket. And when the bucket gets full, I take it outside and put it in what is now our compost bin. But for a while, we just upgraded it and put it in a bigger bucket. And eventually we got enough material that we realized, okay, we need to get a real compost bin situation going. But looking at the cost of lumber, it was crazy. So we built it entirely using pallets. Um, now we used pallets for the side walls. We used pallets on the bottom and we used pallets to divide the individual bins. And then, and those were whole. We took the other pallets and broke them apart and we used the pieces like he talked about and we created blocks and made a system of locks that just 
slide. He put a screw on the end and you just pivot a little piece of scrap wood that he cut and that keeps the door closed so that when you're filling it with materials, it doesn't spill out into the yard and it keeps our evil doggies out because they love to get in there and chew on rotten vegetables and it's evil when they come inside with half rotted fruit, right? <laughs> so to keep them out, we, you know, we built these gates. But then when I need to harvest my compost this spring and I've got quite a bit to dig out, I'm going to need to be able to get to it easier. So the doors just swing open now and I can um, just slide them off of the base and I can put my wheelbarrow right up to the edge and shovel the compost in. That was all done 100% with scrap. And the screws on the compost bin are leftovers from other projects. They don't all match um, because some of them were from this project and some were from that project. But as long as they fit the length requirement we needed for that particular part of the, the compost bin, we didn't care because at the end of the day, we're throwing rotting vegetation in there and or horse manure in there to, to compost and to age. And so, again, the compost, the compost, you know, it's it's literally manure. It doesn't care how pretty it is. And we were able to, once again, redirect a waste stream. That's something that's really important to us um, at Hogs and Hens Urban Farm. We are doing as much as we can to reduce our footprint of waste because we live fairly close to the, um, the county landfill and the amount of garbage that goes into that landfill is just ridiculous. And I was reading online not so long ago that over 30% of what goes into the landfills in our country, um, I'm in the USA, um, over 30% of that is all compostable material. And the, the problem with, with that going into the landfill is when it decomposes in your compost bin, you're making sure that you shuffle it and it gets air. So it's, a, an, a, it's an an I'm sorry, it's an aerobic <laughs> breakdown. When this stuff gets put in plastic trash bags and then buried underground, it's an anaerobic breakdown process. And instead of creating carbon dioxide and things for the plants to eat, it's creating methane, which is adding to the toxic environment that, you know, that is happening. And so if we can reduce that stream, just the impact from our household alone, then we've made a difference, however small it may be. More importantly, though, not only are we doing good things for the environment by doing that, we're also reducing the number of trash bags we need to use, which helps reduce our plastic consumption. And we are feeding our plants. So when I harvest a vegetable like corn, for example, I'm only eating the ears of the corn. I don't eat anything else. Sometimes we'll dry the husks to use for making things later. But for the most part, the majority of that plant is waste material. Now, I could easily just throw that into a fire pit, but it makes way more sense for me to take that corn plant that I have put so much love and effort into growing, I've pumped all these nutrition, you know, nu nutritional aspects into it. If I put that into my compost bin and it breaks down, it returns those unused nutrients back into the soil instead of putting them in a landfill and turning them into a toxic gas. So it's, it's really a great way to benefit the environment. So I am all about composting. You're going to hear more about that um, in a very soon episode. I, I'm not sure if it'll be on this week's episode or next, but we're going to be talking about composting in even greater detail. Another thing that we built from scrap lumber using these techniques that Bob t talked about today is my tomatoes. Um, they have a, a very unique trellis. It's not like what you see in most gardening blogs. Um, we took some scrap two by fours that we had that were that were not perfect. They were from the cull bin because they were a little crooked and some of them had some pretty gnarly knots on them. And we used a table saw and ripped them in half and we created a big rectangular frame and then we took um, some leftover fencing and we made a roof for that. And the fencing is leftover from when the puppies were little. Before we had our yard privacy fenced, we had bought um, some, some fencing to keep the dogs in the yard until the permanent fence went up. Well, we didn't need it anymore, and so it was just laying in the spool for future use, and that's exactly what we did. We stapled it to the frame that we created, built T-posts out of, again, more 2 by 4s that we had acquired, and we cut little elbow brackets out of more scrap lumber and made 
uh, supports for those tea bars. And then I, as my tomatoes grew, I used uh, hemp. Actually, my friend Janine tied them all up for me. Um, she, we used a hemp string and tied them loosely around the stalks of the tomato plant and around the trunk of the tomato um, plant because they get quite heavy when they are laden with fruit. And I'm so glad we did trellis them because we had so many fruit on our tomatoes that they would have just been destroyed by the sheer weight of the fruit. But um, they just, they hang suspended from our trellis system and the tomatoes can move and sway with the wind and they don't get broken like I've experienced in the past with um, doing some of the cattle panel trellising and things. Um, unlike a tomato cage, they don't grow over the top and get too tall because we set this to be seven foot tall so that we could have room for Bob to walk under it because Bob's uh, over, over six foot tall. So for him to walk under it needed to be tall enough and it gave us plenty of room for our tomatoes to grow. That was 100% scrap material that was left over. Um, the hemp is actually left over from a craft project forever ago. I've been holding on to it in my craft kit for years and realized it was the perfect product for that. People talk about seed starting. It is that time of year. Um, we're going to be talking a lot about seed starting um, probably next week. And with with seed starting, a lot of people stress out and they rush out and buy all of these really fancy um, seed starting kits. Well, that's a tool that you don't need to spend a fortune on. If you can go to a garage sale or a thrift store and buy some old cookie sheets, um, some baking sheets, and take some old toilet tissue or toilet paper tubes or paper towel tubes, you simply fold the bottom onto itself until it's closed or at least closed adjacent on the bottom and then you put your seed starting mix inside those toilet paper tubes and you set them up in a cake pan or a, on a on a cookie sheet and you fill them with your dirt and then you go ahead and put your seeds in there and water them the paper you would think would disintegrate but it doesn't because you're not soaking them to the point of extreme saturation you're not soaking them in the water and by the time you get to the point where you are soaking them, you want that cardboard to be broken down. And then when the time comes, you can plant cardboard and all into your, um, you know, your soil because they're nice and soft and pliable. They're breaking down already from, you know, being moist from watering the seedlings. Or you can just pop them out of the toilet tubes and put them in the ground, just the dirt. And then you can compost those toilet tissue tubes. So it's a way, again, of not having to buy those tools. Um, we recently upgraded our seed starting arrangement at the house. And we're going to be growing a lot more plants this year. With that in mind, we needed a solution for being able to get adequate light and air movement on our all of our seedlings. And one of the problems we kept having with seedlings is um, we have a cat in our house. Um, our roommate has a cat and she's very curious and she would jump on our table where we were starting the seeds and knock them over. It wasn't like she was being malicious, but it did cost us several plants. And so we had to come up with a solution that would be cat proof. So what we've done isn't exactly cat proof, but it's cat resistance. Um, we have mounted some brackets um, from above our window frame in our kitchen that has tons of light. It's a big, big, big um, bay window and in our picture window, some call them. And so we've we've hung plant hangers, these big hooks from the wall on the studs. And then from that, we got closet shelving. And we suspended it from the hangers with that closet shelving. And then we can simply use um, carabiners or carabiners to adjust the height of those trays, which are on chains so that you can adjust the height as the plants grow. And we can bring them closer to the light source. And as they grow, we can drop them down to give them time to grow and get really strong. Because it's important for seeds that are started indoors to have ample light. If you just give them the ambient light through a window, um, and our we're in zone 6A, it's just not enough light to really get them going. So we've added grow lights, and those are attached as well to the suspended system. Those are all things that we had hanging around. 
Um, the carabiners are leftover from projects, from old pieces of luggage. They're nothing fancy. They're just a clip, but they work. And the chain is leftover chain that we had. I think it was actually a dog chain. Some of it was from a lamp. Yeah, and some of it was from a lamp. <laughs> we have all these old chain pieces, and we again, we reused them because there's no need for us to go out and buy those materials. And sometimes the mismatched product or materials wind up looking really cute. Agreed. Um, I don't know if you could hear him, but, uh, you know, Bob was saying a lot of times these mismatched materials end up looking really cute. It it definitely adds that um, homemade appeal in a lot of ways. That farm horse, farmhouse decor is super popular right now, and it definitely adds that farmhouse kind of vibe. But that's form-following function. It is. It is very much form-following function. And so around our farm, you're going to find a lot of random tools that that were made for us by us. Like he was saying with the pallet breaker, I had never welded before in my life. I didn't know what I was doing and he cannot weld um, due to some health challenges. And so he had to coach me from afar on what I was doing. And I did a terrible job. I will not lie. My welds, my welds were terrible, but Again, form over, you know, form over function. No, in this case, it was function over form. It is ugly as sin, but that pallet breaker works great. It's basically a two-tined fork that I made out of some old pipe, a couple of elbow brackets for pipe, and I just and a T bracket, and I just welded them all together, and I just put it on the center beam on these pallets and rock it backwards, and it works like a giant crowbar. But because it's a blunt end, it doesn't cr- like dig into the wood. So it's allowed us to save so many pieces of, of pallet wood. It is a total game changer. And the thing is, it cost us pennies. And it allowed me to learn a new skill. And I've, I'm finding more and more, I think both of us can agree, that the further we go into all of this urban farming, the more we're learning things we didn't know we enjoyed. Um, myself, I was terrified of welding, and I, I was really feeling like I was not going to be able to complete this project at all. And with Bob's encouragement, I successfully completed the project. Bob built me a beautiful um, arbor leading into our main garden. And it was all scrap wood. It was 100% pieces of leftover lumber that we cut and turned into something beautiful. But I won't lie, there were some moments of frustration where things were not going just quite right because we didn't have the exact tool that we needed in the moment. So we made it work with a, um, with a totally different saw than what would have been ideal. We didn't have a planer, so we didn't have anything to make it nice and easy and smooth. So poor Bob sat there with sandpaper and scratched away until he got it to be exactly how he needed the notches to line up to make it stick together perfect. And it turned out amazing. Um, you know, so he had to use some tools that he doesn't always enjoy using. And he had to use the hammer to do a little persuading of some of the boards to go where they needed to be. But at the end, again, out of scrap lumber, we ended up with a really, really pretty arbor leaning into our garden. And this spring, I'll be planting some grapes at the base of that. And it's going to trellis up. So when you walk into the garden, you'll be walking through a grape arbor again for function. We're designing our home 100% permaculture, but also we're designing with the environment in mind and trying to be green whenever possible. You're never going to be perfect. There is no way to 100% reduce all of your waste streams. And as much as I would love to say it's it's practical, it's just not at this stage in the game. I, I suppose it is possible to do it, but it's not practical. But it's more practical to eliminate other waste streams. But when you can eliminate a waste stream, it's great to do so. Um, we, are, we are slowly getting rid of our plastic um, storage containers more and more and more. Um, we have used quite a ton of our canning jars, and I'm using those more than I have ever thought that I would use them. Um, one thing I will definitely suggest, um, I personally only use wide mouth jars whenever possible because they're universal lids then. I don't have to worry about having the regular mouth lids and the wide mouth. I know if I buy wide mouth canning jars and lids, they're going to fit. With that in mind, I bought a big pack of plastic screw top lids for canning jars. Now, I didn't have to do that though. 
And I realized the error of my ways later in that I could have been saving peanut butter jar lids and they do actually fit certain brands of peanut butter. The, the lids will fit. And for regular mouth canning jars, you can actually take the, the lid off of a shaker top Parmesan cheese and you can put that on top of a canning jar and use it then to shred your own Parmesan and keep it in the container which allows you to not have to buy a plastic container of Parmesan every time. So again, it reduces future waste. Um, now using these canning jars, the thing that's great about them, canning jars are designed to be heated. So if I need to heat up some leftover soup in the microwave, as long as I don't have the metal litter band on it, yeah. I can heat my can of soup up in the jar that it's in. I don't have to dirty another pan. And then I can just you know pour it into our bowls and serve it that direction. For the pint-sized ones, it's about a portion of soup, and it works out great. I can just take the lid off, heat it up right in the canning jar, and we can eat it out of the canning jar, again, eliminating dishes. And so canning jars are taking over a lot of our storage um, in our house because it's always a it's always a, a chore to try to find um, matching lids for all of your things. And honestly, if you're doing all of the gardening and, the, and you're going to have a bountiful harvest – it's great to have those canning jars around to can and preserve the excess. But if you're if you've already eaten, say in our case, the tomatoes out of our jars, because we we just finished the last jar of tomatoes from our garden last week um, that we had canned from our last season. It was a sad day in our household. <laughs> but um, once I've used those can or those canned tomatoes, I now have an empty glass jar that's not going to have anything in it again until. I start harvesting enough to can, right? So if I've already got those things hanging around, why would I buy another product that'll do the same? Keep that in mind with all of your tools. Um, and also when you're shopping for tools, um, one thing I'm not sure Bob touched on that I would personally touch on, it brand doesn't always matter. So a lot of times when you're out there shopping for tools, you're going to see all kinds of name brands and they're, they're going to be enticing and you're going to want to buy them because they're the fancier name brand. And in most cases, they, they aren't better than an off brand. I have found some of my, well, actually my favorite hammer, which sounds funny to have a favorite hammer, but I do because it's, it's a very well used hammer. And so when I go to hold on to it, the grip is already slightly worn into a pattern that's very comfortable. <clears throat> Excuse me. I couldn't do that with a hammer I bought from the store. I got that thing in a thrift store forever ago. I have no idea what the exact weight is on my hammer. I couldn't tell you what brand my hammer was. But I know that it is my go-to when I need a hammer. We're tearing apart pallets. Bob has his go-to in his tool bag. And I will hunt every hammer in our house until I find my hammer. <clears throat> but with screwdrivers, if you go with a very low-quality, cheap and expensive screwdriver, while it may work for some things, they strip out very easy. They um, this, this Phillips will become just a rounded tip at the end because not all screwdrivers are made the same. The quality does matter on those. Likewise, with a standard, you know, I use a standard screwdriver to pry lids off things. I use it for a lot of things. But you can't do that with a cheap standard screwdriver because, or a flathead screwdriver, a poorly made one, because they bend. And then you've now negated the use of your tool. So pay attention to quality more than name brand. Now, one caveat I will say when it comes to power tools, if you find a brand of power tools that you like, stick with it. In our case, we use DeWalt tools primarily in our house. Now, the reason for that, we have a whole host of DeWalt power tools, and they all take the same batteries. They have the same chargers. We actually use scrap lumber and some scrap screws and built a charging rack for them. Um, the batteries, you know, the chargers are mounted to the wall permanently the way we've got it rigged up, and we can just set the batteries on the charger. And anytime we need to use any of our power tools, we know right where the, the batteries are, and we know that they're always charged because that's where they live. If we had a mix of tools, like say I had a steel brand or a Milwaukee, a Ryobi, they don't 
match. The batteries are not the same on them. So then I would need to have another battery. I would need to purchase another charger. And a lot of times these tools do not come with a battery. The battery is sold separately for most power tools because they expect you to already have some. So I say that because I, I didn't realize that, um, that that was a thing until I started purchasing power tools and realized. And the nice thing about having, you know, a whole host of these DeWalt power tools, we have probably six or eight batteries now. So we always have a charged battery no matter how much we're using it. By the time the sixth one's battery is drained, the first one we put back on a charger is already charged and ready. So it makes it really convenient to rotate through. And then if you happen to go to a garage sale, like this summer, I went to a garage sale. I actually bought us another cordless drill because like he talked about, having two is a game changer for speed. Well, I could have bought a brand new drill for $100 at Lowe's or... In my case, for $35, I was able to buy a used one in great shape. It's identical to the one that Bob has, except for mine actually has a speed clip on the side of it so you can hang it from a tool belt, and his didn't have that. So I always tease him that I have the cooler drill. But um, mine did not come with a battery or a charger, which is why I was able to get it so cheap. But because we already have all those DeWalt power tools, we already had the batteries. So that is one area where I will say it is fairly important to be somewhat brand loyal. I mean, that's not to say that if you find another tool that is a different brand and it comes with a battery and a charger and it's what you need, still that, a good deal. Even within that, you want to look for quality. Um, I'm not going to badmouth my favorite power tool, but I will say that they have multiple lines within the same tool brand, some of which are just head and shoulders above the rest. Uh, they've got a max line. They've got a brushless line. They've got a brushless max line. Then they've got their normal consumer grade lines down beneath that. Know your tools, know what you're looking for, and learn to recognize what the higher quality levels are on the tools. And like she said, that goes everything from a hammer to a table saw. Um, a little bit of homework to know what you're looking at goes <coughs> a long way. Now, one of the tools that we were able to acquire on the cheap this year um, is a lathe. I actually was able to get us a wood lathe. Now, you may be wondering why in the world I would need that on my farm. But let me tell you, making spindles for our fencing, making tops for our fencing that are pretty and decorative, great for that. When you're trying to take a piece of scrap wood and turn, you can turn it on there and make a feed bowl for your animals. Um, I also am going to be making some planters out of the walnut tree that we're going to be cutting down this year. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to take some of the decently sized round, um, you know, nice round portions of wood and I'm going to put it on my wood lathe and I'm going to make bowls out of them, but really I'm going to use them as planters because it's beautiful wood. And once it's cured and seasoned and, um, you know, the, the jug bone is out of it, it's not going to kill my plants. And if I use a liner, it doesn't matter either, but I'm going to be able to repurpose that that lumber on our farm to make some really pretty things using that lathe. Now the lathe that I got brand new would have cost me hundreds of dollars with all of the knives that it came with and the stand that it was on, but I was able to get it for, um, just over a hundred. Well, no, it was a hundred dollars. Yeah, it was a hundred dollars and they delivered it. Um, and it's, it's a used wood lathe and it came with a huge set of knives, um, which are what look like little, um, they almost look like screwdrivers and they have, um, you know, sharpened ends that you use to, to create different textures and patterns when you're using a lathe. At the time we did not need a lathe. At the time, we weren't entirely sure what we would use it for, but we knew that we had a lot of projects coming down the pike. I know that Bob likes woodworking, and I know that if he's going to make something, he's going to want to make it artistic. So I had the extra money at the time, so we went ahead and got it. Um, now, I have a friend that is wanting to make some spindles for some deck railing. He can't find railing like what he has, and his dog went running, chasing a cat, and put his head through his fence, or fence rails on his back porch. Well... I have a lathe. He has an existing spindle he can take off and I can make a pattern for that. And we're going to be using the lathe to make a matching spindle. 
So there are, there are tons of different ways I can see us using that in the future. But that's another case of being able to kind of pay attention to projects you've got coming down the pike. Uh, make yourself a wish list. That's something that we do often. We have, these are all of the tools and pieces of equipment that we would really like to have really good quality pieces of. And then these are pieces that it would be really nice if we could have them, but not necessarily urgent. And then we have our list of stuff that, hey, we're getting ready to build this and I don't have this tool. I don't have anything that'll work. I need that tool. And we make that list and I am a pen and paper kind of gal, which is funny because I built my whole business with an online presence, but I am very much a pen and paper gal. So I carry a little notepad and pen with me everywhere we go. And I have that list handy. If I am at a garage sale or if I happen to be at a thrift store or a flea market or any of those kind of places, I know at a glance, like, wait, we were looking for one of those. And this is what we decided we were willing to spend on it. And I can know at a glance, you know, what what kind of stuff is going on. Now, if you remember back, we talked about the most important tool in the garden being your garden journal and your garden planner. This would be a great place for you to keep those lists of important things um, if you're not somebody that likes to carry around a notepad like I am. Um, but it's just another category you can add to that fantastic book of wonders. Um, now, we've been talking to you for almost an hour now. So I won't take up any more of your time, but please find us on Facebook. You can look us up at Hogs and Hens Urban Farm and share with us any questions you may have. Check out some of our posts. We've got all kinds of fun, informative information on there. Um, informative information. Yeah. Who would have thought? <laughs> We've got fun infographics and information on, on our Facebook page. And you can always find us online at www.hogsandhensdayton.com. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in and stay tuned on Wednesday. We will be posting our episode. So sorry we were late this week. We had some charity work we were doing and got a little tied up in the uh, broadcasting process. But you can look forward to hearing from us on Wednesday to talk some about seed starting. Take care. Bye-bye.